anyways, we had a house full, and we had a whole lot of fun. And then on Tuesday, Christmas Day, thankfully we decided to stay home because the doorbell rang in the middle of the afternoon, and Lynn's parents showed up totally unannounced. They flew into Calgary and and uh, took the cab to the house and totally surprised us. And so we're thankful that they're here. Um, I hope your Christmas is as eventful and fun as ours was. Um, our plan is actually after the service to head south, but depending on the road conditions, to see my family. We'll see in that, in that regard. This morning I wanted to talk about what's the, the vision of Community Grace Church? What is, where is God, where do I see God taking us? What's why do we exist? Uh, maybe we could ask that. Uh, why are we in the heart of this great city? And maybe a good way to start this is, let's say we were starting a business. Let me pick on someone. Jesse, can I pick on you? IT, right? That's kind of your world. Okay. So let's say Jesse wanted to start a business, an IT business, and wanted to become the best IT company that which is that how you'd say it? I, I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty brain dead when it comes to this. But you want to become the best IT company in all of Canada. And so you set some goals. In ten to fifteen years what you would hope to be is to have the the company that would have the least problems in the in the IT world. So everybody want to come to you because you're gonna solve their problems. And then maybe you'd say, well, one of my goals would be to have the biggest company. Not only the best quality, but the biggest company across the country. And literally having offices in every part of the country, every city across the country. And, and that becomes your goal. You can apply that to any business. Think of it in your world or whatever. But what about the church? What should be the vision of, of the people of God? When people talk about their church, what, what do they often say? They might come back and go, man, that, that church is great worship. And they, they'll, they'll point at that and go, that's it, that's, that, that's great. Or they might say that the preaching is inspirational or it's biblical. Or they might say they got a great kids program. I've, I've heard people say, well, our, the church that we go to is incredibly highly organized, and they, they love that. And all of those things are good and probably not a bad idea to grow in. But is that how we paint the vision of the church? How do we often talk about the church? We talk about the church as we're going to church as if we're going to a building. So we talk about this building as the church. And, yeah. Or we talk about we're going to the church. We're talking about an event. Sunday morning, this is, we're going to church. But how does the Bible talk about the church? And kind of with those ideas, those thoughts in the back of your brain, I want, I want to draw your attention 
this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verse 9 and 10, but I think it's important for us to read all 10 verses, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own excellencies, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us this morning? Jesus, would you uh, guide us this morning? And Spirit, would you point us to Jesus this morning? In your precious name we pray. vision, what ought to be the vision of Community Grace. Before we get into the meat of our text, verses 9 and 10, I think we need to, uh, to pause and take a look at the first two words of verse 9, where it says, but you. And I think as we understand those two words, then we're set up to understand the rest of the verses, Okay. We'll start with the word you. Who's Peter talking to? Who's Peter talking to? First Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us who he's writing to. To those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And if you're like me, those are not only names that are hard to pronounce, but you're going, where is that place? Northern Turkey. That's where it is. If you remember, if you if, if you're uh, uh, at all remember reading through Acts at any time in your life, there was a time when the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Bithynia, and God prevented him. And so instead he goes to Europe. So Paul doesn't go here. It seems that Peter may have and declared the, the glories of God. We're also told about this area in Acts chapter 2, 
when the church got its start, when the Spirit of God descends upon the church, the, those first 120 disciples. And there was people from all over the world that were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost celebration of the Jews. And there were people from some of these cities that are mentioned here. And so the church here could have started because people heard the gospel back there and brought it home with them. Or the church could have started because Peter was there at some point. We also know, according to history, that the emperor Claudius was very instrumental in colonizing this part of the world. Now, what the Romans meant by colonizing was they would build roads, they would uh, build cities, literally start cities, and, and Claudius actually started five cities in this region in the 40s. And they also would transport people from Rome anywhere between 300 to 6,000 to set up a, a city or to, to, to influence a neighborhood. Now, a lot of those people that, that were transported were, would go voluntarily because they would look good in the eyes of the emperor. But often they were sent there because they were people that were frowned upon for religious reasons or political reasons. We know that Claudius actually did this. He, he sent the Jews out of Rome in the, in the 40s. Acts chapter 18, verse 2. Priscilla and Priscilla were shipped off and, among the other Jews and probably lost their possessions, their businesses, and everything in Rome and were sent away. So when Paul, Peter writes this letter, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. These were people who were likely dispersed there, were, were people who, this wasn't home. They, they, they became Christians, they might have been Jews, they might have been Gentiles, but they were believers now. But this wasn't where they were rooted, this wasn't home. We're told in chapter 2, these were people who tasted the Lord's good, verse 3. We're told that these are people in, in uh, verse 7 who believed. We're told in uh, verse 8, or at least it's implied, that they obeyed the word. These are Christians. Paul's writing to the Corinthians of these churches in these areas. He's sticking with me. Then the word but. He's contrasting. He says, okay, this is you, but who's he, who's he, who's he comparing? Well, he's, he's comparing to those who did not believe and those who disobeyed the word, the, the unbelievers in the area, who did not accept, they rejected Jesus. But you. Peter's talking to the church in these areas. He's contrasting them with the unbelievers that these individuals would know. And now he he moves into the meat of the passage. And, and, and I think Peter answers three questions this morning. Question number one, he answers, who are they? What's their identity? Secondly, he answers this question, what are they to do? What's their task? So not only their identity, but their task. And then three, he answers the question, what will keep them motivated? What's, what's the heart of why they do what they do? 
might say, I, I don't know where everybody's at in the room, but you might say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not really a Christian, so how does this actually matter to me? Just consider listening in. Maybe the vision that Peter gives of the church is something that's worthy of giving your life to. Let's carry on. Who are these people? What's their identity? Peter uses four phrases, all of them taken from the Old Testament, to describe these people. The first one is a chosen people or a chosen race, depending on your, your translation. This is a radical, a radical statement. But I think it's really important for us to get, grasp. The, the, the word that he's used to translate race or people literally means coming from the same lineage. Now stop for a second and consider what we did to talk about who these people are. People from Rome, Jews, people from that area. It's, it's, it's a, a conglomeration of people groups. Different ethnic groups. And if you, if you zoom this in and say, okay, well, Peter's talking to the church of all time, and you look to the book of Revelation, every nation, every tongue, every ethnic group will someday worship God. And Paul, or Peter says, you, you guys are a chosen race. It's as if he says you are a different Ethnicity. You are a different people group. You are, you, you, you're not there because of birth. You're there because God picked you. God chose you. Peter says this is true of the church. Various ethnic backgrounds and languages. And he says, guess what? You're, you're a whole new people. Your lineage and your common identity is, is, is God the Father, not, not Abraham or not some other. It's no longer that I'm Dutch, I'm, I'm a believer. That's what the text is saying. That's what Paul wants these people to understand. And, and when I stop to consider that we are chosen by God, the only appropriate response is this humility. Why? Tuck that in the back of your mind because Peter carries on with the second phrase to describe their identity. And, and it's not only that he's trying to describe their identity, it's often like if you've ever played on a team. One of, one of, the, one of the, the, the critical pieces of being on a team is is what is the identity of that team? Are they a hard-working team? Are they a, they, do they move the puck well or whatever? It's important for us to understand who we are and to live in light of that. Okay? Tracking with me? So we, we are a chosen race. But then he uses another expression, a royal priesthood. And, and Peter's getting this straight out of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 19, 5 and 6. We won't turn there, but you can read it later if you want. In Exodus, 
that phrase is being used of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And there he says, you are a kingdom of priests. Now Peter changes it slightly and says, you are a royal priesthood to the church. Who is a priest? priest was somebody who served God in the temple and their primary task is to offer daily sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Now they had other duties, but that was their primary task. Peter says to the church, you are priests. Now what does he what is our task? Look up at verse 3, uh, actually look up at verse 5. He says to the church, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're not slaughtering lambs. It's not our job at the church. But our job as a church is to offer spiritual sacrifices. What does he mean by that? Let me just briefly try to answer that. I think the context will, will flesh that out more and more. But look at verse 1, the command that started all this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We're to put these things away. These are spiritual sacrifices. As, as we as we are no longer envious and no longer jealous, we, we are offering a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. Look down to verse uh, 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against you. As we put away the passions of the flesh, we're offering a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of your visitation. The world will see your good deeds. That's, that's a spiritual sacrifice. Our behaviors are sacrifice and offering to God that says, Lord, this is for you. I'm doing this for you and for your glory to make you famous, to make you known. doesn't simply says you are a priesthood. He says you're a royal priesthood. There's different ways you can look at this, but I think what he's trying to say is, guys, we are priests of the king. We serve King Jesus. A royal priesthood. That's our identity. That's who we are. And we should live in light of that. Now, let's carry on. Let's look at the third phrase. He calls it, he says, that you are a holy nation. Now, we know nations. Nations have borders, right? Physical borders. Canada has Santa Claus to the north, right? Then we have the great oceans to the west, and then the 49th parallel, the, the states below us. That, that's our, and, and we have common laws that kind of hold us together. And we have a prime minister and a government that puts those laws together, and and we are to live in light of that, right? That's a nation. 
says to the churches in these areas, he says, you are a holy nation. Well, what's he mean? It doesn't mean we have boundaries, borders, but we do have a rule of law. We do have a king, a king that we submit to. And, and, and in verse 11, when he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, he's really saying, you guys, you guys have two citizenships. You are Canadians. Well, these guys weren't, but we are Canadians and Christians. And what, what Peter's saying to them is, when those two worlds collide, who do we submit to? King Jesus. King Jesus. Now, thankfully, we lived in a country for so many years where, where rarely those worlds collided, but they're colliding more and more, aren't they? More and more. In, in their context, it collided constantly. Caesar wanted them to say he is Caesar is Lord, and Christians said we can't do that because there is only one Lord, and that got a lot of them in trouble. Peter says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you are a, a chosen race or a chosen people. Could, could you imagine if we at Community Grace live with growing awareness of who we are and that we live with increasing measure in light of who we are. What would change? Let, let's carry on. The last phrase. Finally, he says, a people for his own possession. Again, coming out of Exodus chapter 19. Literally, he says, you guys belong to God. He owns us. Keys of the Kia. I like my Kia. I, I own it, some measure. Maybe Lynn owns it more than I do, I don't know. But I enjoy driving it. I don't just give these keys to anybody. God owns us. He, he does with us what he wants. He takes us where he wants us to go. The implications of this are, are, are huge. This is who we are. This is who the church is. This is our identity. And you say, okay, well, so what? Just stop and think for a bit. What if we are a people who, as we read the scriptures and we recognize the, the, the good books is we're to be hospitable, and, and the word hospitable there doesn't mean invite your friends into your house. doesn't even mean invite the church into your house. That's part of it, but it means invite strangers into your we 
said, you know what, God, this, this is what the book says. And so that's way out of my comfort zone. But I'm going to obey it. What if the book says that we're to radically give for his kingdom? You go, well, that's way out of my comfort zone. But, hey, Lord. What if we are a people who live with increasing measure in light of this? The text helps us explain that. And that's the second thing. What are we to do? What are we to do? What's our task? In light of who we are, what's our task? Look at chapter 2, verse 9. After he gives us these four phrases, then he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. This, this is the purpose. He says, this is who I made you to be. This is your identity. This is how you ought to live in light of this. And why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of God. But proclaim, that's easy to define, right? We talk. You know, as I was reading this, I'm also thinking through my, my goals for 2019. And I thought, okay, well, how does this shape Elroy's day-to-day life? So for Elroy, what I would like to be able to say at the end of every day in 2019 that I can actually look back at the day and go, you know what, at this moment I, was, I spoke the excellencies of God to fill in the blank. Maybe one of my kids. Maybe one of my neighbors. Maybe my dear wife. Maybe the person who fills up the gas tank. Maybe the guys I share the office with. But, I, but, I, but I, I, I couldn't help but bubble over and tell people about who God is, what God has done in my life, that, that I'm amazed that God chose me, that I'm amazed that I'm telling the excellencies. I love that phrase. That we, that you, that us, may proclaim the excellencies of him. Like the really good stuff about him. It's all good, isn't it? We were created for that purpose. That we might proclaim his excellencies. But could, could it be that if after two months of looking back at every day, that I can't just pick out one point, but it becomes such a habit that I find that in every conversation I'm telling and proclaiming the excellencies of Him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could you imagine a people, a church, that every day we're, we're, we just can't help but proclaim the excellencies of Him? Well, how would your workplace look different? If you just simply said, well, I was praying this, and God answered this prayer. How would your families look different? How would our neighborhoods look different? But, but pause with me for a moment. Proclaim also means, in this context, look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day 
on the day of, of visitation. It's not only what we say, but what we do that proclaims the excellencies of him. So he's not saying don't talk about it, but he's saying talk about it and, and live a, in a certain way. Maybe what I also ought to do in 2019 is stop and pause and go, not in a manner to puff myself up, but to examine my life and go, was there a place today where I did, a, I did something that was good and kind and gracious that proclaimed the excellencies of God? I think that might be a good habit in my life. What, what, would our, what would our world look like if, if we were thinking through, well, how did I proclaim the excellencies of him by doing good in my neighborhood this week? How did I proclaim the excellencies of him by doing good deeds to glorify God in my workplace this week? It might simply be you're going to be the hardest worker because you want to bring glory to God. You're going to be the first one to check in and the last one to check out because you want to please God, not your boss. What about corporately? Can, can we be a people that maybe ask together? How can we proclaim the excellencies of God by doing good deeds together. Is, is there things that we can do together that would actually be more effective if we did them all alone? As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, Kalia, right before Christmas, like a week before we had to hand them in, you came up with this idea of, of putting backpacks, and you, of course you got it from somebody else, but you brought the idea to us and said, we, we, we put these backpacks together, we can give them to teenagers who are living on the streets of Calgary. And within one short week, our little congregation, I don't know how many, how many bags have we got together? Five full bags. What if, what if we had thought about that for three months? We could have had a truckload of bags or whatever, right? But I think in, in that context, we were proclaiming the excellencies of him. Talia said, you know, I can do this, but if I bring it to the church, the whole church, we could, we could do more. In 2019, what if we, if you had an idea or a thought, says, you know what, I think if we did this together, we could proclaim the excellencies of him, and we could, we could talk about it, go, yeah, that's a really good idea, let's do that. And we may have to say no to certain things, and yes to other things, but could you imagine, would we not display the glory of God in a unique way? You see, I think, I think Paul or Peter's laying out a vision for these people and says, this is who you are. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done for you. And, and he's done this, and he's done this in your life, and he's made you this way so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. 
so I don't have a picture in my mind for community grace. I want us to grow when it comes to better preaching. I want us to grow when it comes to our entire worship service. I think we need to grow in that. I think we've got to grow an organization. Next week we'll talk about what it means to be a, 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 a member moving forward of this church because we've got to get grow in our organization abilities. But I'm far more convinced that if we become such a people, nothing will be more attractive. There's glimmers of this in our church, but I don't think it's full-blown. Finally, I think Peter is simply asking the question, what will keep us motivated such a people? What's the heart behind it? And I think Peter ends it very well. He says at the end of verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Or in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I read that and I think of C.S. Lewis's little illustration. He said, think about it, that I decided one day to come over to your house and, and you were going to head off on a vacation. And you graciously said to me, all right, you can just, you can have the house. I'm going to be gone for a few months. Just help yourself to whatever you need. Enjoy the place. Free on the house. He's been good to me. I'm going to pay this bill. And so you give me a call and say, hey, Elroy, how are things going? Well, pretty good, you know. Um, love your TV. Uh, the fridge is now empty. And oh, by the way, there was a bill that came in the mail, and I paid it for you. Well, you wouldn't know how to thank me, would you? Unless you knew what the bill was. Maybe, maybe the bill was you had sent off a letter, and there was only five cents missing, and I, and, I, and I added the five cents to the, to the stamp. And you, you, you might say thanks, though, right? But you wouldn't really, you wouldn't give it much thought. But what if the bill was, you owed Revenue Canada a hundred grand? And I wrote out a check and paid it for you. You'd probably go, well, thanks, though, or you could stay another week, you could stay another month, Go to, the, go to the grocery store. Fill up the fridge. It's on me. Like, you would be overwhelmed. I think Peter's simply saying, when we recognize what God has done for us, we'll be overwhelmed. It's not like you paid five cents for extra postage. We once were in darkness. We are now in light. We once weren't a people. We now are a people. We once had no mercy deserving God's wrath, and now we have for our people have and receive God's mercy. Book of Habakkuk, I started the service with this. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge 
waters cover the earth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. This will happen with or without community grace. The question is, will you as an individual and will we as a corporate identity have, have any bearing on filling the earth with the glory of God? My prayer is that we would grow as a people that looks increasingly more and more like the vision that Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, I or we cannot build what you describe. But Father, you can. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would understand who we are, that we are a chosen race, that we would understand that we are a royal priesthood set apart for your services, that we would understand with increasing clarity that we are a holy nation, a people for your own possession. We are these things so that we may proclaim your excellencies doing that, Lord, with our tongue and with our deeds. Father, we do that, I pray, with increasing measure because we grow in our understanding of what you have done for us. Debt you've paid is astounding. May we be overwhelmed by your goodness. Father, I pray that you would take us small, maybe seemingly insignificant, but not in your eyes, and would you use us to fill your earth with the knowledge of the glory of your name. In your name I pray. Again, each week we close with around the communion table just simply to pause and reflect upon what Christ has done for us so that we grow in our overwhelming, overwhelmedness is that the right word? of what he's done for us that, that, that we become increasing measure who we truly are and so if you're a follower of Jesus if you know the Lord, if you believe in him um you are welcome to join us around the table. If you come in groups, just come down the middle of the aisle and